What's the password? <laughs> Welcome to the Game Master Speakeasy. Brought to you by the record button. Hello and welcome to the Game Master's Speakeasy. Come in, grab a chair. If you are thirsty, wander up to the bar where today's bartender, Alfonso, will be serving beverages of age appropriateness or to your liking. Uh, I am your host, Cody, joined by... Lance. Lance here is my good buddy. He's the he's the person who helped really get me into long-term role, role, tabletop role-playing, which is what we talk about here. Uh, we are, both of us, game masters for varying degrees of time, but uh, if you are a tabletop role-playing player, or even just have a, an interest in hearing about it, maybe maybe it's something you've always wanted to try and do, uh, maybe you want to try game mastering, then you've especially come to the right place, but everything we talked about Everything we talk about here today will be relevant to the hobby. Absolutely. And if you're curious, do it. Yeah. It's life-changing. It's oh, great, yeah. great, great fun. Yes. As well, <laughs> having a good first experience is life-changing. I it mean, is... you, you had a terrible first experience and you came back for Oh, more. I had a lot of fun, though. My <laughs> character had a terrible first experience. That's fair. Uh, so what's today's, uh, what's today's topic? Uh, we're going to talk about conflict. Yes, we will be talking about conflict in general and various... Uh, scales of it from player conflict mm. to something a little bit grander but before we get there we've got a couple pieces of news to discuss the first of which being uh, a, a Paizo product which we mentioned in the last episode Paizo being the publisher of of course Pathfinder and Pathfinder 2 and Starfinder we mentioned a product in the previous episode called the Book of the Dead which is a supplement for Pathfinder that is, surprise, surprise, going to be focused about the, the well, specifically the undead. So, it may, I mean, maybe it's, it should be called the, the Book, Book of, of the Undead. undead. <laughs> <laughs> but That's too on the nose. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a... Uh, it's going to be a big supplement that will include... It'll have a big bestiary of all sorts of things. But the news is that it got pushed back thanks to the ship apocalypse. Yep. Which is, uh, which is still a thing. And uh, originally slated for March, it's now going to be released April 27th. So amending the information we gave you last episode, the Book of the Dead will come out, at least at this time, according to the Paizo website, April 27th will be when the PDF will be available. You'll which means the rules will be available online yep, at that time, too. You'll just have to wait a little longer, but this is Paizo we're talking about, so it's probably going to be worth the wait. Ooh, it's quality. <laughs> I love the good stuff. It's hey. worth worth the wait. Paizo does good work. Yeah, Creative Assembly could have... No, I shouldn't call out Creative Assembly. I've been playing Warhammer the last weekend. The new <laughs> Warhammer 3 Total War game came out, and don't get me wrong, the gameplay is good, but it's buggy. Okay, yeah, yeah I was going to say, I've seen you playing it a lot while I've been churning my way through Monster Hunter. Yes. <laughs> All right, what else we got? Uh, news related is... Well, so those of you that have been listening to the previous episodes know we have been playing a game called Lancer which is a mech-focused RPG where you guys have been playing mercenaries. Uh, and in, robots. Yeah. Big robots. Giant fighting robots, which I am a fan of. But uh, we kind of... We've, we've given that... We've given that system a try. We've tested it out. We could probably talk about it for a whole episode sometime in we the could. future. But I for now, uh, we are looking at running another type of sci-fi game, very much inspired by like Cowboy Bebop or Firefly, where you've got a starship and a crew just trying to make it in the universe out there. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> yes, that is a, that is an itch that we have been wanting to scratch for some time. 
Uh, didn't go see a doctor about it, but I will be your doctor now. Ointment. Get the ointment. <laughs> uh, so I'm... We have, we've done a couple sessions of a military-style Stars Without Number game, mm-hmm. which is inspired by... I, I, if you look and you read the rules for things like Stars Without Number, uh, the Cepheus engine, and uh, Traveler, you they're pretty much all... They all have working parts that can interlock with one another. Traveler came out in, I think it was the early 80s or something like that. And it, even though I don't think it's said in an official interview, there's enough speculation and other things that I found online that uh, Traveler is the reason the show Firefly exists. Oh, okay. Right? That's like, kind of cool. It's in, that's where Joss Whedon got the idea. Supposedly. <laughs> allegedly. Allegedly, that's where those ideas came from. And then I went and rewatched Firefly, and the pilot says, hang on, Travelers, but in the first episode. So Traveler is the reason that Firefly exists, and Fox is the reason that it got killed after one season. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Bring it back. All right. It's, I think so, it's dead, man. I think it's dead. <laughs> the news uh, related to Traveler... Oh, I mean, I wish it... Was, no, sorry, I can talk about that for a while, but let's not. Let's talk about Traveler and the news related to it, which is they just put out a pre-order. So you can pre-order the physical boxed set, but there is a PDF available now uh, for uh, running in, like a mercenary game. I should say that this is for second edition... Uh, second edition Traveler by Mongoose Publishing. There have been other editions by other companies. Mm-hmm. Not not unlike how some, you know, games change hands occasionally. Yeah. Look at Shadowrun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I think it started with FISA. It ended up in Catalyst's hands. Catalyst still have it? I think Catalyst... I honestly don't remember. Yeah, I don't I think, remember. I think they do. I could be totally wrong. But yeah, I mean, I think that they had fourth... And... What are they up to? The sixth world now? So sixth the, edition? Well, sixth edition. I mean, the sixth yeah. world's always been the setting, but... But, uh, this is, yeah, 6th edition is the newest one. I haven't played that one yet. Yeah, uh, so that might be another one worth looking into. But first, we're going to play Traveler. Uh, if you want to run and be in charge of, like, a mercenary company in a sci-fi setting, uh, a very hard, well, not, not it's not hard sci-fi, it's uh, realistic in its depiction. Unlike Stars Without Number, there's no levels or hit points. Mm-hmm. It is a skill-based, non-class-based system. So... Uh, that's actually what I've been doing. We can, I'll, we'll talk more about it in the recent happenings. That's what I've been up to is reading Traveler and reading Call of Cthulhu. Well, and, and you were telling me earlier, Traveler and, and a lot of those sci-fi systems at the time were all built on pretty similar architecture. Yes. So they're kind of modular. Like yes. You can take bits and pieces from Stars Without Numbers and apply them in a, in, into a Traveler game, and the, the conversion or is... Or vice versa. Or vice versa. Yeah. I mean, the conversion is not terribly difficult no because they all use 2d6 mm-hmm. is and all the the target numbers are very similar you even see this the similar language for describing checks in mm-hmm. in various games uh the numbers all look pretty similar it's just that uh you can tell where you can tell why and how some people might have branched out but then you can pick and choose uh from the, the various systems what to include see and i kind of like that idea because then if if Traveler's setting by itself is lacking something that you would want for a sci-fi setting, you might be able to pick it up somewhere else and not have to break your back trying to convert everything over. I like a modular game. Yeah. It is it is a 
It's a fun game for an active game master mm-hmm. who has the time to do prep work. Yeah. So if you want to run a mercenary game, go check out that product. I don't think we're going to be running a mercenary game, though, right? We will not be. We're going to, like I said, Firefly, the Starship and crew, <laughs> yeah. you know, ragtag bunch trying to make it through the galaxy. I'm into it. Yeah. <laughs> that is what we're going to be going for. So uh, before I go on more about that, why don't you have a chance to talk and tell me what you've been doing lately for tabletop games? Um. Well, let's see. Um, this last session, we, we continued our our very long-term game that started out in 5e and was just recently converted over to Pathfinder 2. Um, I am warming up to my Warlock a little bit as I'm learning the abilities more and more. That's good. I'm, I'm looking forward to using, was it... Uh... I, I knew there would be growing pains, but I wanted to go at least... Mm-hmm. I wanted to... Well, I wanted to go at least five or six sessions before someone switched characters. Yeah. <laughs> to allow people to try and get comfortable okay. first. On the We've sub- only had two combats, but anyway, keep going. On the subject of switching characters, yeah, and we'll- relevant to today's topic, um, our particular group, we were uh, we were sailing to meet with uh, a pirate queen who was in opposition to this other pirate... Um, who is the local antagonist. Who is basically the local antagonist to the, to it's, the campaign. You're, you're doing an enemy of my enemy is my yeah. friend type of situation. And while we were was it, while we were on our way there, we, uh, we bumped into some shallows and a hydra. Okay, no big deal. Honestly, we're pretty high level and that hydra was not a particularly challenging foe. I didn't even get to go. No, like, yeah. It was, I mean, there's was, what, two or three people before me and that hydra was donezo. You guys rolled initiative, but it was more of a story encounter. Yeah, and... So, um, our ranger and our inventor, um, went venturing into the nearby cave and found a clutch of eggs belonging to the aforementioned Hydra. Yep. Um, they destroyed all the eggs but one, and the inventor decided that he wanted to keep one as a pet. And this is where the fireworks started. Yes. So, he brings this egg back to the ship. We're all on there. And, uh, the wizard immediately deems keeping a pet Hydra as too dangerous and... Without provocation, immediately hits this thing with a magic missile. Yes, just... Deliberately picking the magic missile as the spell, knowing that it literally cannot miss as far as spells go, and there would be no way for the inventor to uh, to stop this egg from getting ripped open. Yes. Um, that started a bit of a player conflict. Or not player conflict, character conflict. And, and before anyone at home comes at me saying that you can't use that the target says a creature that's that's not how i run things no I mean, I've, been, I've been trying to be a little bit more loose <laughs> with uh magic targets I mean, and less gamey about it an egg is a creature it's just an enclosed creature <laughs> you, yeah okay <laughs> the, the point is i'm trying to be more narratively open with, well i mean with, n- with... narratively there's no reason he shouldn't be able to magic missile the egg. right i mean there's that you would just be then I I, you, I I actually thought about it in the moment it's like would i let him cast it on other objects if he wanted sure i would mm-hmm. yep. i mean it's force damage it's not like it's you know damage that wouldn't affect it uh, yeah, I, I, it's just uh it's something that and it's funny because this decision to be more narratively open about the rules mm-hmm. uh I was inspired to be like this because of the inventor who lost his egg. Because he's run a couple of GMing things, and he does, he has a nice open flow approach to running With his game. To running narratives, yeah, yeah it and does. it makes it, it makes it feel good. Mm-hmm. So I was like, hey, I'm gonna try that, and it got his egg busted. Got his egg busted, and of course, the uh, the inventor and, and the wizard then had a bit of a spat. Um, no, no actual fighting. There was no initiative roll or no fighting between the two of them. But the inventor decided that he was going to uh, leave and go dedicate himself to helping kind of a sub-affiliate of our team that uh, is made up of actually former characters that we had played. 
They're now helping fight off some demons in a forest. So he bailed and went that direction, and we haven't seen him since. Yep. We can talk more about that once we get to the main topic. Uh, so we're going to put a pin on it. And there's, uh, there's, there's, there it is. There's the pin. <laughs> um, my recent happenings include just reading through rules. Uh, well, running that session that mm-hmm. you just talked about, but then reading through rules of Traveler and Call of Cthulhu and prepping to possibly try out these systems very soon. Uh, also, the One Ring, which we're going to try not this Wednesday, but the next Wednesday. A lot of irons in the fire right now. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I mean, running this podcast has given us a very good excuse to actually try these systems. That's that I've true. Been we can we can give you guys some indication of what we're what we're working on. And, and, and might help you inspire you guys to pick a system to play on, especially if you're not playing a game, an active game right now, and you don't know what you'd like to play. Well, are you into sci-fi? Stand by and wait for when we start talking about um, start talking about our sci-fi campaigns. Or if you're into fantasy, or if you're just a really big fan of Lord of the Rings, well, we got a One Ring coming up. So be prepared for episodes in the future that will be focused entirely on a, a system. System, yeah, for sure. All right. So in the meantime, what are we drinking today? Oh, you, brought, you brought a pretty interesting. I did. Beer. I, I like it. It's good. But before you even say it, I want to I want to say that I do like it. Well, this is called the Disco Infiltrator. It is made by Lark Brewing. That's one of our locals. Um, it's twelve percent by volume. Um, it's also a very limited run. I don't even know if they're still making it. I know they still have bottles of it that they're selling, but I mean, this was like a $25 bottle of beer. <laughs> oh God. Which yeah, it's, ma- it's one of those. It's about two pints worth. If you're looking for, looking for, uh, it's one of those out. big fancy ones. Yep. It even had, uh, what is that? Blue wax. Yep. That they, was on yep top they, of they, it. they sealed the bottle with blue wax. It's a, it's an Imperial stout. It's, uh, it's aged in, in rye Willet barrels. It's, um, Got a lot of kind of cocoa flavors to it, a little bit of yeah. Bit I'm, not, of I'm not good at analyzing the flavors. Why don't you Why don't you break down the flavor profile a little? I bit? I mean, there's there's some lactose in it, vanilla, um, and uh, like cocoa, like the chocolate coffee yeah, yeah, flavors yeah. that you will typically get with an imperial stout. It's uh, it's a good one. I've had it before, but I mean, this was we were we were at the brewery not but a week or two ago, and I decided I was going to buy a bottle of it for the uh, recording. So I would describe it as very creamy. Mm-hmm. It's very smooth and creamy. That's the Which, lactose. I mean, that's what you want to mm. get out of a stout. But like this one in particular, out of all the stouts that I've had, I I, I can see why it's a twenty. You you got what you paid for. I got what I paid for. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm not. Even, I do not regret the cost. But it is pretty high octane at twelve percent. So thank you, Alfonso. You got to watch out for that. <laughs> all right. So on to the. The main topic, which, uh, which, as you have prefaced here in the uh, the recent the recent experiences, mm. is conflict in general. But we are also starting with player conflict, or even better, technically character character conflict. conflict. Right. So you had this the situation where the inventor wants this egg, and the uh, wizard said no. He did not take the inventor's feelings into account, uh, and it was honestly the way he went about it was disrespectful. To the, um, not the player, I'm talking about the character. The wizard was disrespectful well, to the to inventor. The yep. And the inventor had an outburst. Uh, it, it was, there was a moment bordering, you can kind of tell a little bit when a player is irked, but I don't think, I don't think the player was as irked as he roleplayed it. I, I think he did a really good job roleplaying it because honestly, there have been a lot of situations where um, this inventor has kind of gotten the shaft in yeah. one, more ways than one. It's it's become a don't meet your heroes situation. <laughs> That's true. Because when this he, character was introduced, he had heard so many tales about the characters he's currently traveling with. And and he has learned that they have flaws. And, you know, when, when people tell bardic tales of heroes, they only leave in the good bits. Yeah, they don't, they don't tell you about how big of a 
dick the wizard can be. Yeah, when he first when he first met the wizard, didn't he try to get his like autograph or something? Yeah, oh yeah, he was fanboying hard yeah, over the whole party. He was fanboying real hard, and now this same wizard was a real yeah. dick to him. Let's well, see, and, and my warlock completely ambivalent to the whole situation because my first thought was, well, when it hatches and attacks him, I guess we'll have to kill it. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> it's a, well, oh, we'll have to put it down. Yeah, well, whatever. All five heads of it. As a matter of fact, my wizard ex- or my wizard, my warlock excused himself shortly into this conflict. I'm going down into the hold of the ship. This doesn't seem like an Aram problem at all. We have talked before about uh, player conflict and character conflict and the difference between them. And it's, it is an important difference, and it is one of them is good, and one of them is absolutely like should not be tolerated at the table. Let's be honest. Yes, uh, player conflict can usually, as long as it, especially if it's with your friends, can usually be resolved with talking to them like humans, mm-hmm. right? Just uh, you see all the time posts online saying, "Oh, my player's doing X. How do I solve it?" And people say. Almost every single thread. Sit them down. Sit them down a and talk to them like a human. Unfor- and so, unfortunately, some people are hard to converse with. If it reaches that point, then maybe maybe they are not a good That's fit say, for your table. But at table. least you tried to talk to them like a human. Mm-hmm. More importantly, character conflict can be incredibly dramatic and fun. Mm-hmm. It can spur excellent role playing because the, the the inventor had this powerful outburst mm-hmm. and he pointed fingers around the party, uh, mm-hmm. ex- exclaiming. Valiantly defending his <laughs> position, that you know he doesn't get any he doesn't get any respect, like a certain Mister Dangerfield. <laughs> I was gonna make a joke there, but you beat me to it. Uh, and and then he, because in those situations where there's conflict, it's usually going to be a situation. There's pretty much three outcomes, broad outcomes. Either they're going to talk it through and work it out, or they're gonna butt heads either verbally or physically. Or one of them is going to leave and mm-hmm. cool off. And that's what he did. Yeah. And he left so hard he's going to fly across the ocean, apparently. Because <laughs> uh, I actually had both of those players message me about the situation. Uh, they, 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 didn't, they both independently messaged me asking um, if, if it was like, does it need to be handled differently? Uh, what needs to happen going forward? Which I think was very, uh, very mature of both of them. And I yep, appreciate sure. both their efforts. And... Uh, Looking back, some valid points were made, and I think, don't get me wrong, it was a little awkward in the moment, but it's it's just because it was done well, I think. Well, and I, I'm one of those people where, you know, when it's in-game, I'll allow almost anything to get by, as long as it's between the characters and not the players. Correct. Like, as soon as that emotional overflow starts to become a player and player issue, yeah. well, that's when you need to kind of cool everything down, but... Letting the characters, you know, go nuts over something like that, I think that's fine. I think I think it, it, it breeds good role-playing, and I mean, you know, I mean, it, with the Han story, his entire background, it, like, he ended up being an antagonist. Like, yeah. one of the characters ended up being an antagonist for the rest of the party because of his own motivations. And I mean, it, it wasn't like he was deliberately evil either. It was just that that's... Yeah, they, you know, his motivations ran afoul of the rest of the parties. And I think I think player or not player conflict. I keep saying player conflict. Character conflict. Character I think conflict. fine. Yes. I mean, I, I don't know that I would necessarily encourage it, but I mean if if this if the scene calls for it. If yeah, it's it's a situation where it should come naturally. Yeah, I mean if it if it occurs and, and uh, if you, character conflict has arrived naturally and your players are role playing through it, don't feel the need to stop it. You might be aware and try to teach yourself what is and isn't player or character conflict. Mm-hmm. Because if it becomes player conflict, if you start to suspect that a player is acting 
through their care, like acting vicariously mm-hmm. through their character. If they're being hostile because of an outside game reason, then you need to talk to them well, like and, a human. And, and, and then, I mean, that's, here's the thing. And you can, I've heard nightmares about this. I've not, I have never actually had it occur at my table. It's actually something uh, that we can't claim really too much experience about. Cause we've been no. both really lucky about the people we run. For. Yeah. Now we, but I mean, I've heard stories where we don't take that for granted. Where it's like, me. you know, character conflict will result, say in the, in the death of one character at the hands of another and then the the players taking this outside of game end up like the, the next character they make is basically like like in this case if, if the character who had the inventor decided that he was going to make a, a character literally designed to kill wizards right bring that character in game <laughs> start a fight with the wizard just as an excuse to kill him well now at that point you're not really role playing yeah. what you're doing is you're you're taking your frustrations because of an in-game event out on the this this other character through a whole nother character that shouldn't like if the character by default is hostile to wizards probably shouldn't have been letting the group in the first place like it, it's like how you always told us uh, don't bring a templar and an anti-templar into the same party yeah in, no in, if a, if in a deadlands hell on earth you're camp. playing a deadlands hell on earth campaign I'm not going to let two people, one play a Templar, one play an anti-Templar, because literally by definition of the characters, by their edicts, by the, the whole creeds or codes they run in, they will murder each other on site. There's no question about it. Somebody walks away, somebody's dead. You know, I just I just came up with a fun idea to kickstart uh, a, oh uh, a Hell on Earth campaign where two, two players actually do that, and they're okay with it, and the survivor gets to keep playing their character. <laughs> Listen, if, if both the players were okay starting out yeah. that way, I would actually be okay with it. But it's just as a general rule, you know, you don't you don't necessarily want to... Like, don't build your character by design to, like, destroy another character because you're mad. That's, that's something that's gotten kind of out of hand. And as a GM, don't let that happen. I mean, that's... At some point, you may have to put your foot down, even if it is, you know, character-to-character conflict. If it's because the character conflict is a result of player versus player animosity so i've i've parroted this advice before and not that anyone not our advice not matt colville's advice not matt mercer not matt mercer's advice none of it is supposed to be taken as gospel however there is one thing from colville that uh, as a as a like as a writer uh i have learned from him that has been very valuable all this conflict that has that we've been talking about uh what does it help create drama drama if you're trying to run a narrative game, you want drama. Drama's good. Conflict is great for drama. It makes an interesting story because it's drama followed by resolution, right? Mm-hmm. So not all resolutions are uh, satisfying. So, for example, uh, conflict makes for good story, and you need to think about the central conflict of your game. The central tension is another word that gets thrown around, but it is the the major... We're always going to keep coming back to like media. In Lord of the Rings, for example, <laughs> <laughs> the major conflict is good versus evil, mm-hmm. right? So in this in this in this micro scale uh, setting of this interparty situation, you've got uh, you've got a you've got a conflict between two people. Uh, conflict is something that you need to put into your game if it isn't already a, like. That is how you run a story because there is a problem. All pr- like a problem is usually some sort of conflict between two party, between two forces, uh, between two ideologies, between multiple parties maybe, and it's usually 
as a group, the player characters seeking to resolve some sort of conflict. Whether it's just um, our characters are too poor and we need to raid the dungeon for loot, or we are going to be involved in a political intrigue game between two major houses, and there's those two houses are going to have this, that's going to be your central conflict of your game. Well, you know, and to, and to bring Lord of the Rings as an example of it, like, you know, character conflict within, within these kind of stories is not unusual. I mean, no. if you were to try to break down Lord of the Rings and make every major character like a character in a tabletop RPG, mm -hmm. I think... Smeagol would have been a player character. Oh, yes. and All the important ones. Yeah, really, and, yeah, and his drives and motivations were different and in some cases oppositional to the rest of the party, but he was still there until it boiled into an actual conflict. Yeah, he didn't like Sam for a whole lot of reasons. Right. I mean, <laughs> you know, and, and it didn't mean that they weren't a part of the same party moving toward the same... Yeah, the same direction, target. if not the same end goal. I mean, he wanted the ring. That was really his goal. But, oh, yeah. And, but, yeah. I mean, he was... I mean, don't we all? Yeah, right? I mean, <laughs> who wouldn't want the ring of power? My girlfriend wants the ring. <laughs> <laughs> all so, right. So, maybe they, but, but, like, what, that, what that brings is, like, if you look at any really good story, especially a long-running series of movies or a long-running television series, you're going to see, like, the protagonists of the story get in conflict with one another. That's not unusual in any good amount of storytelling, and it shouldn't be shouldn't be off limits at your table. Boromir succumbing to yeah, right? succumbing to the taint of the ring. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's just a really good example because he started out as effectively a good guy and the goodest guy. The goodest, yeah. And then he, he, he kind of went. He is the son of Gondor. And then he kind of went dark side, and then at the end, he had a little redemption arc, and then yeah. And then, you know what? Boromir's <laughs> end is a really satisfying character. It, it really was. It was the whole arc for him was great. Oh, it was so it's I love it. I think both, it's, both, I think it's in, both in book and in the movie. I think it's an underrated arc. I think a lot of people kind of sleep on it. No, I I would challenge you on this. Think, think yeah, lot, I think okay, I think I think a lot of people recognize. Do they? I think I, I think I Boromir. So. I think Boromir is endeared to the nerddom because of it. I hope so. He deserves it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh he, it was, <laughs> it was a very quick redemption arc, but he had his redemption. Yeah, well, arc. I mean, he he listened. He didn't last that long in the books either. You know, he just yeah. had to go with that. Um, so, what are the kind of conflict we want to talk about? Oh uh, well, so you've got this. We've talked about good and evil, but. If when you're running your tabletop game, there are multiple ones baked into Dungeons and Dragons and Pathfinder. There is a grid that has uh, nine squares on it that you often see memes for at one point. I hate alignment. It's so the worst thing ever. Some people actually <laughs> believe it or not, Lance. Some people like alignment. I don't like it. I like alignment. <laughs> uh, if you know what, you might change your tune if you were running a classic. Dungeons and Dragons game where you are involving these extra planar entities uh, because they have alignment baked into their their very essence. I mean, I, I can see it being a necessary evil in the world, but I've, I've never liked alignment because it always feels or too Or a rigid. necessary lawful good. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> but, sorry, continue. <laughs> honk, honk. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I'll be here all week, folks. <laughs> but, I mean, to me, it's always seemed a little bit on the rigid I'm end I'm up of after things. the bard. <laughs> It's a tough act to follow. Oh god. Uh, anyway, yeah. Sorry, I keep I keep interrupting no, you're, you. You're you, fine. You, I was I was just complaining about uh, you do alignment you. as I often do. Well, because you've got good and evil, but you can also have. So in my current homebrew game that we have currently put on hold, uh, we you we were playing like a pirate mm -hmm. campaign, you know, and that's kind of its own thing. Uh, there is a conflict there, but we didn't we didn't get to the core thing yet because we were kind of in Act One. Yeah. 
Uh, and we've put a pin in that to, you know, try some other systems for now. But before that, before you guys were playing Pirate Finder in the, in the core... Uh, homebrew setting I was doing. It was supposed to be Law versus Chaos because he uh, calls it Pirate Finder because it's played on the Pathfinder system. Yeah, but we're playing pirates. Yeah, well, that, and that, yeah, and that's <laughs> that's also, become our table term for the game. Yeah, and then uh, <laughs> last Tuesday we played Victor Finder, which is pi- uh, Pathfinder, and the main antagonist is named Victor. Yeah, and it's uh, that was our conversion to Five E, <laughs> or from Five E to Pathfinder. Uh, so because you explained something, I just drank. We don't need to keep that going. It is a twelve percent beer. Uh, what are some other... So, let's let's come up with some ideas that would be good conflicts to in- introduce in your game. Some examples. Some hooks, if you will. You might have... Uh, another one that I like is Robin Hood versus... Uh, what's the what's the dude's name? The captain or the... the Sheriff of Nottingham? Sheriff of Nottingham, yeah. So you've got... You've, that's that's a law versus chaos situation, right? Where yeah. you've, got, you've got these people... Because he's a thief. He is breaking the law. But mm-hmm. he's doing it for good reason. He's chaotic good. Yeah, he's he's chaotic good. He's he's morally ambiguous a little bit because he's breaking the law, but he's doing it to help people. And you might introduce some some of that into your game. So look for things from classic literature uh, and classic movies, uh, or just any movie. You can take you can take the Empire versus the Rebels. Uh, that's that's a uh, that boils down to being the the great force versus a. Uh, the underdog. The underdog, yeah. The, yeah it's the, the, it's the an, little guy. It's an underdog story. So you can have the conflict be the little guy versus... Well, it's, it's David and Goliath is mm-hmm. what it is. But honestly, who brings a sling to a fist fight? <laughs> I mean, well, okay. In his defense, there were not a lot of ranged weapons at the time, and Goliath was a lot bigger than he was. I wasn't going to... I wouldn't want to get in a fist fight with that dude. <laughs> I'd be throwing rocks at him, too. <laughs> yeah, dude. Those uh, those slings were dead. They were used with they pretty were. deadly Actually, efficiency. You know, I did a lot of, kind you, of you, studies of those. You, th- you think about... Yeah, because that's what you do when you run a tabletop game. You look in-depth at how slings work or how <laughs> beer is brewed. Yeah, like, I gotta look up how this worked in real life so I know how to put it in this game. Yeah. Um, you could... you uh, Some other conflicts that you might use as story hooks include... You know, I, th- I think about more modern-day setting. Uh, eminent Domain. You think mm-hmm. about the movie Up. Yeah, uh, just there's someone trying to buy out. Well, I guess I suppose that's kind of a big guy versus a little guy thing, right? Yeah. Like it's but it's In just adapted to a more modern setting. So if you were running like uh, a modern day Cthulhu game, or maybe you've got uh, a Vampire the Masquerade game, uh, or well, I guess World of Darkness, because isn't correct me if I'm wrong. Having never played it, World of Darkness is can be can be and is usually set in present day. Generally, yeah. Okay. All right, so you might and there's there's ways to look at all these old conflicts. Uh, try and find you can even make a list of them. Uh, and if you're trying to get ideas, make a roll chart. I I love I love roll you charts. Love, you love your random. Roll I charts. love my random roll charts. So come up with a bunch of different basic concepts for conflicts, and then you can roll and apply it to whatever game you're playing. And if you're trying to get ideas for making a story, now if you are running a pre-written adventure, the conflict is already there for you. Mm-hmm. You've, if you're going to play, uh, if you're going to play the, uh, 5e giants one, well, the conflict is that giants are running rampant and the resolution <laughs> will be stop the giants. Yeah. Make the giants stop wrecking stuff. Yeah. Uh, if you are playing, um, Oh, I was, there's a lot of giants and dragons in D and I was kind of, I was about to come up with another example, and it was just going to be the TMI adventure. Well, and the, there's a giant dragon coming. You better stop the dragon. So here's your D and D conflicts: giants are killing stuff. Make giants <laughs> stop. 
dragons are killing stuff. Make the dragon <laughs> stop. It just kind of happens. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. So you can, you can, uh, it's, well, it, it, you can, you can almost boil that down to a parallel with today's climate change problem. You know, a big impending threat in the future mm. that you need to work hard to stop. That's mm. another type of conflict. It's just, it's it's something everyone has to band together and deal with, or else, uh, or else the dragon's gonna come, right? <laughs> Tiamat's gonna come to the this plane of existence and start wrecking face. See, my favorite conflicts have always been kind of the uh, internalized moral conflict. Did you ever run worms with us? Worms? It was one of the Deadlands adventures. Oh no, I've n- I never played. Okay, that's, uh, that's just the name. That's the that's the name of it, huh? Yeah, it's, it's. I already hate it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a, just it, the just the, the it's, sounds gross. It, it focuses on the Mojave Rattlers. And... Oh, never mind. That sounds awesome. Okay, okay. For those who don't know, Mojave Rattlers are are the Deadlands version of the Tremors. Do- well, Tremor, yeah, the Dune Worm or Tremors. Yeah, it's, it's a desert worm. It's a big old desert worm. Yeah. Um. Well, the the spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> for a really, really old module. Yeah. For a game that's been out for a very long time. Um, <clears throat> do you remember when we did Hell on Earth? Did I ever introduce you guys to the Wormlings? They were like you did. Hu- humanoids. They kind of had. They had like the worm face and the tentacles. Uh, no. Okay. I don't think so. Well, no. the 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 adventure worms was kind of a Deadlands precursor to those horrible creatures coming into existence. Gross. There was a uh, and it, so it, it basically it's basically like the story of how they came into being, kind of yeah, kind of okay. Um and and basically the long and the short of it is is there was a there was a small town and I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna really gloss over a lot of stuff here because otherwise it would it would take yeah you forever. don't want to ruin anything yeah but the the main character or one one of the one of the main characters and one of the main NPCs in the story was this guy who consequently had the nickname Wormy. <laughs> because of a penchant for tequila. Well, he had gotten into a friend of his um, stash drunk and didn't realize this. This guy was an adventurer who had had a he had a, a bottle of alchemical solution with one of the a small piece of a tendril oh, from one of the actual Mojave Rattlers. No. This guy thought it was tequila, drank it. Well, it it altered him in such a manner that his blood could be used by the Rattlers in order to produce wormlings. Interesting. So you end up basically going down into these worm tunnels, fighting a bunch of these these massive um, Mojave Rattlers to find out what they're using this guy for. And as players, you realize... Wait, that... are the, the Rattlers are intelligent? Oh, no. <laughs> spoiler alert. Yeah, well, you did say spoiler alert. I did. Yeah, so... Yeah, no, they're, they're not stupid. We'll have to timestamp that. And just, just, just in case anyone wants to run this adventure... Well, you could use this adventure and port it to the new Deadlands version. You could. Yeah. Um, you have to do some but, tinkering. So, by the end of the adventure, you've saved most of the townspeople. Because what were they were... But the, the Rattlers were doing kidnapping the townspeople, oh. siphoning out Wormy's blood and injecting it into them and turning them into Wormlings. Oh. So, now as a party at the end of it, you've saved them and Wormy. And you have to ask yourself, is it worth letting Wormy possibly get taken by the Rattlers again? Or, oh, or just yeah. putting Wormy So, down. I think the last party they did it, they killed him. Oh, well, was Dan in the group? Probably. <laughs> but, not, I mean... Why am I not but, but the thing is, the group had a legitimate moral conflict. Yeah, because this is a dude's life Because this, about. like, Wormy was not a bad dude. He was a bit of a drunk, but he was a nice guy. You know, he didn't deserve the situation that yeah, he'd been dealt with. But he was literally the key, at this point in time, to the Mojave Rattlers, accelerating their plans of making human-worm hybrids. Gross. And so, I mean, letting him live, the players had to say, okay, well, I mean, is, is this guy's life, you know, is, 
is is the moral evil killing him or is the moral evil letting him live the with, greater good yeah with the possibility that that he will end up ushering in this new wave of new horrifying monsters and then well and then there's wormlings in hell on earth so i guess i know what the canon answer is. well i, I don't know if <laughs> it, I, they made they might have managed to do it again later because right. the thing is like i i think the they never really specify what the canon answer is but I, my assumption was because wormlings are not really big in the canon until way later in the time frame okay so i don't think wormy ended up being the problem but i mean i like as a player you know you gotta ask yourself the conflict is well, there you go Am I willing to to do this bad thing for the greater good, or is this bad thing a bad enough thing that I won't do it and let let the cosmos sort it out as it does? Moral conflict. Yeah, that's moral conflict is my favorite. Conflict. Renegade choice. <laughs> you still need to play Mass Effect. I started it actually. Yeah, I got uh, the I got the the new version or the uh, the. Uh, remastered version of it nice so that's another good example actually mass effect is another uh, has a conflict in which a giant enemy force is going to wipe out all earth and you have to work to stop it so whether you are applying things at the small micro scale of just between two party members or you're thinking about the macro scale of your campaign or adventure or whatever you are crafting you need to think about what the conflicts, the, the primary conflict is, and how you can work that as a theme throughout the entire campaign. Because it's going to ultimately result in a much more satisfying product. It'll feel like a project that's more cohesive and glued together. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Because if you, if you just have a bunch of... Uh, if you go back and forth a lot with the same group of characters, uh, you can do that. It really depends on what you are trying to get out of your game. If you want a full, like, if you're trying to write an arc that you might eventually novelize, you want to run your campaign with uh, themes and motifs, which yeah. are things you learn in, like, high school. Uh, mm -hmm. High school ba literature. Basic English classes yeah, and English stuff like class, that. English literature in high school will teach you thing, things about themes and motifs. And one of the wonderful things today is uh, if you for some reason, didn't take that class and still managed to pass, uh, you can go learn about these things online. Yeah, I decided to pay a lot of attention in high school, if that's not obvious at this point. Um, so another good in, uh, you can another good source of inspiration is, like, go through and read the lesser-known Shakespearean uh, oh, works. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. I, I borrow, I like to, for a lot of my, for a lot of Pirate Finder, I'm borrowing names and ideas from, like, Tempest okay. and Othello. Mm-hmm. And uh, secretly, we're, well, now you know now, but <laughs> and, and the rest of our party will know when this airs because most of them are listening. <laughs> yeah, but still, they'll, now they'll be on the lookout maybe for them. But you, you work, you work these inspirations in the same way that you can steal things from other works, steal conflicts, steal the steal mm -hmm. the ideas of the tension and conflict. Because if you want to have a narrative focused game, you want drama, which is conflict and followed by resolution. Oh, for sure. I think uh, I think that's all I have to say on that topic. Really. Yeah, no, I, I, I think so. Uh, and oh, and don't forget, if there's player conflict, just talk to them like humans. You know, there's no mm -hmm. there's no special thing you need to do. There, there's no trick to it. Yep. You just have to 
take a deep breath. Understand that sometimes talking mm-hmm. to people can be anxiety-inducing. Yeah. It, it is. I, I get that, too. Pull them aside after the session, or if you think they need time to cool down, wait a day or two and give them a phone call, shoot them a text message, whatever you need to do, or, or pull, them, pull them aside before the next game session, whatever you need to do. But yeah, because let's face it. I mean, we're, we're all there to play, and we're all there to have fun. And... Sometimes when that gets interrupted by behavior, sometimes people just need to be have explained to them that what they're doing is not helping the rest of the group. It's not it's not making it it's not making it better for everybody. And if it's an isolated problem, like if it's a rare occurrence, it might not be something you even need to no, address because we are humans and we make yeah, mistakes. It, if it doesn't uh, happen frequently. Just you could also just let it go. Our our gaming groups are better than our worst three sessions. Right. Yeah. So, oh, absolutely. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So if that's so, that's something to keep in mind too. If it's if it's a pattern behavior, address it. If it happened maybe one time and, and it doesn't seem like anyone's bothered by it, it might be okay. You might be looking for a solution where there is no problem too. That's true. Uh, with that said, I think that we are going to wrap it up. It's almost uh, speakeasy closing time. Alfonso is uh, calling for last call. So get your last drinks in. Uh, I have been Cody. And this has been Lance, who's currently taking uh, I'm a sorry, drink. Sorry, and I'm Lance <laughs> in my in my glass of beer. And uh, we have been your hosts here, at the Game Master Speakeasy. Uh, if you want to f- see more of us, uh, well, if you want to listen to us on other platforms or recommend us to your nerd friends or your non-nerd friends who you might want to get them into this wonderful hobby of ours everybody's got a little nerd in them that's right everyone likes a little bit of star wars or lord of the rings from time to time and with tabletop games your friends and you can live it even if it's just for a little while so we can be uh, wherever you listen to us know that we are also on we are on youtube spotify apple podcast i think google podcast there was an there was another one that came up uh, recently i saw in the advertisement i honestly don't know it but uh producer do you know what the new one was now we'll put it in the next one but know that <laughs> apple podcast google podcast youtube spotify you can email us at email uh, email our, our official email is gmspeakeasyofficial at gmail.com and I'm going to say this right now if you are listening to this I have been checking this email uh, for every every time before we record I keep checking it no one has emailed us anything yet not even our friends so if you're listening to this right now I want you to really consider it gmspeakeasyofficial at gmail.com all right, or leave a comment, or, or leave whatever. A comment. Just yeah. say something. We have seen the comments on YouTube. We have, so we have YouTube, a few YouTube comments, but I'm I want to answer emails on the episode. All right, uh, so we are. Uh, you can find the record button group on TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube as well. The YouTube channel of the Record Button Production Group is where our YouTube videos of this are uploaded, alongside our sister shows owned, that are owned and operated by the Record Button record button production group of which i have been uh i got to voice a super mutant on the fallout one and then there is a fanfic uh related one called why did i write this which uh is uh, i've i've uh i've got plans to binge more of it recently <laughs> uh but i have been no lifing warhammer this last week <laughs> no, I, 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 I guess that's probably a good thing to listen to <laughs> anyway that said, I want to thank you all for coming here today. Look forward to us in a couple weeks from now. If you've somehow managed to land at this episode first, we've got plenty of content beforehand. Go listen to that. Recommend us to your friends. But please, no matter what, get home safe. <laughs>